You're listening to Stir Crazy with Steve Jenkins. Conversations with creatives during the quarantine. Hey, people. Welcome to Stir Crazy with Steve Jenkins. I am Steve Jenkins. So this is the first week where the new episode drops on a Wednesday and only one comes out per week. And uh, we are at episode 21. Hard to believe, right? We're about almost four months into what life has become since this coronavirus has like ravaged everything. And from the looks of how things are being handled in the United States and the result of that, in terms of how the rest of the world sees us, I don't really think this is going to change anytime soon, unfortunately. So I'm going to keep this going as long as I can. I'm really grateful that everybody has been listening, and I'm grateful for the people that have given me positive feedback, or any kind of feedback at all, really. Uh, Pretty soon, I am going to ask some questions on my social media, so you should definitely Follow me on Instagram if you haven't been. Uh, the handle for that is at Steve Jenkins on Instagram. I'm trying to figure out some people to interview or talk to for some future episodes because even though I have a bunch that are ready to go, I'm always trying to find new people to talk to. And since I'm relatively new at this, I'd like to pull in some different folks. So look out for that. But at the meantime, if you could, make sure you're following me on Instagram. Anyway, one strange thing about this show that some people might have noticed is that even though I'm known in the world primarily as a bass player, and even though many of my guests up until this point have been bass players, I'd say at least 75% of them, this isn't really a bass-centric podcast at all. And... It's weird because you think if I have someone like Tim LaFave on or Evan Marion or uh, Brian Beller, uh, there's going to be stuff that will come up as far as bass playing goes. And even though we talked about it in a peripheral kind of way, it's just it's it's not really the focus of what this thing is. Like we're talking about other stuff. That's not to say that I'll never talk about bass stuff. It just hasn't been at the forefront of the discussions that I've had on here yet. And today's episode is really not that different. I'm really excited about who's on the show today, and that is the magnificent Julie Slick. Julie is an amazing bass player, and I first heard her play with Adrian Ballou's Power Trio. And it was awesome. It was a thrill to hear her play through all the various parts of Adrian's musical experiences, whether it's his newer compositions that he's written for the trio, or whenever they've approached the classic King Crimson music or some of the Frank Zappa stuff that Adrian did. Julie also has a cool project or band. Actually, side question, what's the difference between a band or a project? I've always wondered this because you need to have a band to record your project but then in order to keep your band afloat in touring you got to constantly be embarking on new things and working on new projects so you see where I'm going with that anyway I digress 
So Julie has this project slash band called Echo Test, and it's great. It's got two bass players. There's vocals. Um, Julie's also played with this project called The Crimson Project, which was sort of a King Crimson adjacent band, which featured Tony Levin and Pat Masolato. Anyway, the last time I actually saw Julie in person was when we were both on the road and the bands that we were working with at that time intersected on the Yes Cruise, which is known as, or actually shit, I think cruises might be done right after this. That cruise was known as Cruise to the Edge, and it was a bunch of different prog rock bands, and I had been working with Tony McAlpine at that point, and she was on there with Adrian Blue, which was great. Um, in any case, we caught up a couple weeks ago. She's in Seattle now. I'm still in LA. It was great to chat, and here's how that conversation went. How's the last couple months been? I mean, I feel very fortunate that I was already kind of in a post-tour down period. I was expecting to be kind of slow this year. So I saved my shekels from my touring in, in 2019. And, and I've, you know, I've been a nomad for the last, I had been for the last six years. So for me, this kind of forced quarantine, I was already like doing it on my own anyway, before I couldn't, I wasn't allowed. I do find it interesting though, because I feel like there's a lot of expectation put on artists right now. Like, Oh, you're inside all the time. You must be putting out you know, creating so much new music. Right. But it's funny how without that, like, external input, like going to see my fellow shredders, you know, it or even just like, you know, going to museums and libraries and things like that, there's really not a, a lot to kind of influence except, you know, of course, the this, like, watching the news, which just makes me depressed and, <laughs> and that I can't even bring you know you know pick up my base i can't even bring myself to do that so yeah I, I think there's like this really strange unrealistic paradigm that it's like now that we have all this time to stay inside it's just going to be it's just going to be a giant box set of stuff when it's all over exactly and um i think it's been cool to see people work on things but i definitely think if people are feeling like that's not what they want to do I definitely think that's fine also because because it's it is very it's very very troubling to to kind of go down the rabbit hole of like the what ifs and what does it all mean because right. you really can't really can't know I mean I think it's I think it depends on the kind of person you are like I think some people they need to have something they can wrap their brain around mm -hmm. because um, but yeah, no, I mean, you're someone that I, I kind of feel like is suited to like developments like that. Cause like, because of like, I remember the whole nomadic gypsy hashtag and all that stuff mm -hmm. kind of being open to adapting and stuff. So in a way it's like, maybe, maybe you weren't envisioning a global pandemic or anything, but just the idea that, you know, right. things are fluid, things move around. So you're, you're in Seattle now. Yep. So I've been here since the, the t well, I was back to even like when my touring ended with Adrian last year, I was still back and forth playing with like my friends and start making sense, um, which is a talking heads tribute that's I do for fun sometimes. And so I, and you know, I came back for the holidays and so I picked up some gigs with them. And so I was really back and forth still until 
January. And then I thought, you know, okay, now I'm going to, you know, set my roots here in Seattle. I have a lot of great musician friends here and I was starting to network. And really I was like self-quarantining for like the first two months. First of all, it was raining. Of course, that's how, what it does here in the winter. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't really inspired to go outside anyway, but I was just, you know, so exhausted from, you know, six years of constant travel. Like I wasn't ever in the same place more than two weeks at a time. So, you know, it was just crazy. So I just kind of, my body needed to reset and just, you know, sleep it off. And, and, and still I worked on, on, you know, like the new echo test record and stuff like that. But it's funny how since the quarantine has started, I really haven't, I mean, it's kind of done anyway, but I just haven't even felt like, you know, really working on anything really new. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've been like learning a bunch of, I've, I've like right now I've, I've got like, I've been like downloading cheesy MIDI files and learning stuff just to keep my mind like active and not, like I said before, like, you know, looking at what's going on and, and, you know, trying, like you said, you know, trying to figure out why this is all happening. And, you know, of course, with all these riots and everything, people are, of course, like, there's just, I feel like it's just a very volatile time right now. We're all so fed up and, you know, fed up with being inside and fed up with all this, you know, crazy oppression that we've been dealing with, you know, for centuries. Mm -hmm. So it's a very interesting time. And so oh, I yeah. put on and, and, and learn any Lennox songs to make myself feel better. Oh, that's cool. No, no. I mean, I think there's, it's, yeah, this is so, you know, like the day we're recording this, cause it's going to probably go up in a couple weeks. And, yeah, who knows um, what will happen in a couple by in a couple weeks, you know? Yeah, well, the the first initial like fifteen or twenty interviews I did for this were done kind of like the first two weeks of like the lockdown. So right. we're in a much different place now. But you know, just for the timestamp, I mean, basically, I know the, is there a curfew up where you guys are? Because I, I think I was looking. Yep. Okay, like I, I pulled it up, and the first headline that came back, and I have no idea why the algorithm had this first, but it was like woman carries out entire cheesecake from the cheesecake factory in Seattle. I'm like, what? But, um, then I found, <laughs> <laughs> then I found the thing about the lockdown, but yeah, I just got the alert on my phone, like the little, uh, the Amber alert, alert I, uh, iPhone thing or whatever that it does. Like it's been kind of doing that, you know, since the whole thing started. But yeah, so right now, you know, the world world is like protesting, uh, amidst a global pandemic, which is, pretty insane like you got to be really mad to want to go out and you know yeah exactly exactly ri risk your life and and all that because because that's i think that's the thing that like really if people for I, I don't know who wouldn't understand why people are mad but if if they're having a hard time i really think that if you consider what the risks are and like how much distance people need to keep from each other to just sort of be on the safer side look at how how densely packed those protests you know, and it's just like, you know, people, people are obviously, there's a lot of urgency there. So, yep. so yeah, I don't know. Hopefully I would like to think that in a couple of weeks, at least that part of it has ceased and there's some kind of like discussion going on, but hard, hard to say, you know. Exactly. And of course we all, you know, hope that some time in the future we can all, you know, there's the, you know, who knows when the vaccine will, will, you know, 
be released and be, they, you know, come up with it. So, you know, who knows how long we're going to be in lockdown, you know, right. it's over soon, but you know, obviously safety and health is paramount. So, yeah. you know, it is, it just kind of, it is what it is situation right now. And yes, yeah, so, I, you know, what sucks for people like us who, you know, make our living from playing out live and, yeah. you know, not only our living, but just like our sort of sense of like, self-worth and being really yeah, yeah. Uh, is derived from that so but like you know i can't let myself get too upset over that part of things right now like like you know because that's really out of our control and like i said what's really most important is that we all you know keep safe and quarantined as far as you know whatever the the orders are but from the cdc to what we should you know recommending what we should do so mm. yeah well, here's here's something I was going to ask because um, obviously I know everybody's been talking to each other. But um, as far as like, do you? I mean, do you miss live playing? Or are you the kind of musician that that's like your favorite part of it? Or are you sort of like is is it like a balance of being just being creative and then playing live? Is it more just having having the balance of that? Because I have friends who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm you know they're like climbing the walls to play, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, I I feel that, but I also feel like I I'm happy to when I am feeling inspired, like just to sort of sit inside and create and flesh out ideas. Like, I feel like I can, I get as much from that as playing out. So are you oh, more, totally. which, which are you more of that than like, I want to be on the road or be out playing gigs or do you see it more as like, is it a balance for you? Yeah, it's definitely a balance. I mean, you can't be out all the time. Like I said, you know, for the last six years, I've been basically simulating a tour kind of environment anyway. So I was kind of, you know, being now approaching in my mid thirties, like I was kind of over that. <laughs> so really I've been appreciating this downtime and yeah, like you said, you know, just staying home and being creative and a little bit more introverted because, you know, sometimes it is uncomfortable to, to play live, you know, all the time, you know, get unnecessary fans, especially being a woman on stage, you know, and dealing with that whole side of things so it is nice to take a break from that and you know reset and really really reevaluate everything um but of course i miss playing out live that's part of it but it's not like i'm not really an extroverted person where i'm that's where i'm gonna get all my energy you know yeah it, it helps inspire me for sure like after i come off the road i feel usually like that's when i i tend to like write the most you know, even though I'm playing like other people's music, like Adrian's music or Talking Heads music, um, <clears throat> coming back to my to my space, which you know, in the last couple of years was my friend's living room or you know guest bedroom, but you know wherever <laughs> I can kind of find a sanctuary to kind of make make it happen, you know. So I've you know got my my you know recording rig is still very much a mobile recording rig. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just situated in the corner in Seattle right now. And, you know, I do, yeah, I do feel like I, I'm not really missing like chomping at the bit to get back out on stage. I, I think about now, you know, this time a year ago, I was playing at Sea Prague um, here in Seattle, a progressive festival. Imagine that. Me play a progressive festival. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was doing that a year ago and, I just remember that was one of the most insane weeks of my life because I was playing not only with my band Echo Test, but with another project called Trout, which we were performing this entire record that we had recorded like 
two years prior. So just enough time for me to totally forget everything that I did on that record. Oh. And, <laughs> and it's, you know, very complex esoteric music. So that was a whole undertaking. Like we got together, I think we only had three or four days of rehearsal. Some people, some members of the band had shifted. So we had some new personnel to try to dive into this extremely complex music, you know, that changed time signatures and keys practically every other bar. And we were all sharing a house um, in Madison Park here and just waking up in the morning, living, breathing this music. So I think about that, like, wow, that was only a year ago. That was an extremely intense time. And now I'm just, you know, finding, trying to figure out how to fill up my day at this point, you know, so it's a, it's a, a complete 180 but I, I and again I say like I welcome it because I think my brain needed a break and and you know I'm not playing as much bass as I, I should I suppose but honestly I really like taking breaks away from the instrument because I feel like I kind of fall into I think a lot of musicians I think we fall into the, like these same patterns and ruts that we do so just stepping away from it and just binging some Netflix, I think is kind of good sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely healthy to, to put it down or to find ways to keep it fresh. Um, even if it's, even if it's like changing like some small things I play every day, but it depends on the, depends on the day, you know, and I like, I'll, <laughs> sometimes I'll play an instrument that I don't play all the time uh, just because it, you know, either feels different or it sounds different, but yeah, I definitely, I, I always felt like the greatest thing I ever heard, um, in a clinic from someone that you might not think would say something like this because of the kind of music they play. But like someone asked Gary Willis, like how much does he practice or how much someone should practice? And he was like, you know, practice as much as you think you should. And he's like, don't ever make practicing a guilt based thing. He's like, if you don't want to practice, cause there's a game on or you want to watch a movie or you got other plans and just don't do it and do it when you're really focused on it. Um, right. And I guess what's weird now is like, now we have all these books and thoughts, you know, like thoughts that have been published in, via blogs or something where it's like, it's really more about consistency than like how many hours, you know, cause after a certain point, that's really all it is. But yeah, mm -hmm. no, I, I think, I think not playing for a few days is definitely healthy. If, you know, cause then, you know, you come back refreshed and maybe some gratitude creeps back in there. Cause it's really easy to take it for granted too. I think. Oh, yeah. Um, cause it's like, it's like everything else. It's like, you know, everyone, everyone loves the miracle of transportation, but I think on an average day, most people get inside their car, just expecting the engine to turn over and they can drive and go wherever, you know, or like, you know, if they take the subway or the bus, like it's, it's just like, this is supposed to work. So here we go. And so I think with playing, sometimes you just expect it to be there and, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes, but what I, what I have found is like, I do definitely feel when I haven't played, I feel better when I do play. So I think that's why it's been more of a consistent thing. Cause I just know that like, there's some kind of, uh, in, I don't know if it's an endorphin, but I definitely, even if, I'm bogged down by the, uh, the onslaught of, of like terror porn that the news cycle is right now. Yeah. Like, oh, totally. I do feel a little bit better. You know, at least I feel, I feel like it's some kind of a, a 
soothing mechanism to kind of like take me out of it for a second you know oh, um, totally I, sometimes i feel like okay like i might have a panic attack coming on or something like that i just like uh, you know what i'm gonna start plan based because like you said it's i think it makes me feel a lot better <clears throat> and it is sort of like a meditative thing you know that's when i my brain shuts off when i pick up the bass i i try not to even think about anything at that point so that i think that's why this week i've sort of ramped up my playing <laughs> a little yeah. bit because I think I had been taking the last, well, like the last, like, you know, band camp's been doing this amazing thing once a month where they, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there know about it, but you know, they've been waiving their, their fee share once per month. So the last time they did that last or earlier in May, I put out a like a 10 year anniversary edition of my first record and I sold so many, I wasn't expecting to, like I only offered 50 and I sold out right away, but I was like burning the CDs who would think somebody was still sell CDs and, and use CDRs in 2020, but here we are. Um, and cool. yeah. And so I was so busy, like being a CD manufacturing plant, like drawing every cover and burning all these CDs that I like, didn't play bass for two weeks because I was so you know, wrapped up with these orders and packaging things up and filling out customs forms and all doing all that stuff. So I think finally this week and the last week I just, you know, with, with everything going on in the news, I just thought, you know, I really need to just play bass. I, that's what I did all day <laughs> yesterday, all day. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even, cause I just went on Facebook in, you know, Instagram for a few minutes and I just felt nauseous and the headache. And I just thought, you know what? I need to put the phone down right. and just, and just make music. Yeah. I mean, I would go out and, and, and protest, but I am, uh, on foot and I can't get downtown very easily right now. And, you know, with the whole pandemic going on, I yeah. do, I am staying inside. So it, you know, I, I have some friends going down today. I, I wish I could go and support them. Obviously I do support the black lives matter movement, but you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely am feeling that same sentiment. Like if, if I thought there was a safe way to go and safe in terms of just the COVID-19 shit, not like anything. Right. Else, then I would totally do it because I've done that before, you know, I've, mm -hmm. Um, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'll admit I'm, I'm pretty freaked out by the whole, like, I'm still kind of making peace with, um, going to the grocery store right, and, and doing stuff like that. Cause I, I haven't really been doing Instacart or, uh, Amazon fresh. Like I just, there's a Trader Joe's near me. They're very good about counting the number of people that go in there and they're, Same they're here. Yep. and, and so I like seeing that, but there's a, there's like a, a Ralph's near me that I go to and, and it's a bigger one. So the aisles yeah. are bigger, but then there's a one, there's one by me that's smaller. Right. And that one still looks crazy. Like I tried going in there and I was like, Nope, this just doesn't look, doesn't really it's look. We it's weird how I find like the, the, the cheaper stores, you know, mm -hmm. they're, I feel like they're not taking as many precautions and I do, I do find that very, interesting you know because of course that you know your whole foods and your trader joe's were quote like yuppies will shop i think they're taking much more of the necessary precautions and limiting how many people go in and having you know 
arrows in the aisles where you know indicating which way you're supposed to go but yeah. even then i find people are going like the wrong way and i i try to get outside just to like walk around just to get you know exercise because i can't just stay in my little one bedroom basement <laughs> forever <laughs> so yeah so you know we're close to green lake here and we try to just i'll try to go down you know when i know it's not going to be too busy like the weekends if it's a nice day just forget it like it's way too crowded but they've actually like shut down all all the they're not supposed to be down there with a bike or on wheels really like you can have a stroller but they have it set up so usually one path is for people like rollerblading and skateboarding and on bikes and the other path is for people walking but now they just have it like trying to tell people go in one direction and then you know people on the left you know the, the left is the passing lane basically mm-hmm. and people are just i mean in the for the most part people are abiding by these rules they're not really enforcing them but you know you'll still slip somebody will still whiz past you on a bicycle and somebody will still come at you from the wrong way on a phone always because they're not paying attention. <laughs> so, you know, at that point I usually go, okay, it's time to go, you know, or at least I can like walk on the grass where it's less crowded at that point. But it's amazing how selfish people can be. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been, I've been seeing that where I am. I've been pretty impressed for the most part how many people are, are wearing masks and just sort of following, following the guidelines. Um, and, you know, I guess like there's some things that as studies have evolved since this thing started, like maybe it doesn't make sense to totally get mad at somebody riding by who's not wearing a mask because you're not really being exposed to anything, but um, right. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's been, it's been weird because the trails opened up again and they opened up the beaches, but you can't like, you can't sit on the beach. Like you can only do it if you're walking on the beach or I guess if you're going to surf or go in the water, but like people can't actually sit on the beach that might've changed, but it's been, it's and been, will they actually enforce it? Cause like, you know, we went to a park, like, gas works here and there's signs everywhere don't sit keep moving and it was just full of people sitting (laughs) so (laughs) i don't know (laughs) yeah i don't know i i don't know that the will of the people is so strong that people are going to be vocally into telling people what they should and shouldn't do either like i've had a couple exchanges with people who weren't wearing their masks or they had to pull down and and you know it's one of those things where I felt like my tone was friendly enough. So it didn't turn into a thing. I was like, Hey, you know, I know this sucks for everybody, but do you mind, you know, do you mind like pulling your mask up? Right. Cause, Cause it's like, there's a coffee place I like to go to near, near where I live. You know I me, mean? like I always find the good coffee spots. Of like, course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they found a way to operate relatively safely because basically right. they have a side door and, you go in and it's very spaced out the way it's supposed to be. And they do like cashless transactions or you can use your card. Um, and it's very, very well thought out. Um, but I feel like anyone that's going to hang out and wait for their order and not stay masked up. Like that's a threat. That's a threat to something I like to do. So it's like, I don't want my coffee place shut down. Um, exactly. <laughs> Cause I, I, it's not that I, 
I mean, I've been making a ton of coffee and I've been like my home game with that's been pretty strong, but I need the excursion sometimes because exactly like you get like, yeah, start crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I was going to ask you about Bandcamp because one thing that like, I'm sure you've been seeing this also, um, a lot of people are moving their thing online a little bit more, you know, and, and the whole idea of becoming like their own, uh, like network, so, so to speak. And, and you were one of the first people I knew of to have a subscription based model. Um, and I guess there's other sites that do this, like there's Patreon sure. and there's like other things, but like, how's that? Like you've been on that for a few years, right? Like when did that start and what's your, that, what's your take on it? So that started for me in like the end of 2015. And the reason why I chose Bandcamp over Patreon is just because I just already had a following there. I've been putting out music on Bandcamp since 2010. Mm -hmm. So I knew I already had, and they've got, they, even then I think they still have this platform where as soon as I released the campaign or the subscription service, they emailed, blasted everybody that had ever bought anything from me. Like, this is something new that Julie's putting out. Just like whenever you put up some new music, they will do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Now they've introduced this new cool feature where you can just message these people, these followers directly. So you can, you can, it's basically like a, a mailing list that you don't, I mean, I, 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 I'll be honest, I'm terrible with my mailing list and I haven't had a proper one for a few years. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is great because it's now becoming this all-inclusive platform where, okay, now I don't have to go on one of these uh, constant contact things. I just already have my built-in fan base. And these are people that have actually purchased music from me or, or follow me on Bandcamp. So I know they're really like a true diehard fan that is, you know, willing to put some money you know, to back me. So when I launched it, um, in 2015, I immediately saw results and I think I had about a hundred subscribers at first. And now I think I'm up to like, I'm, I'm, you know, it's slowly growing, but I have like maybe 170 or something like that. And there, and it's a pretty fair thing because, you know, you can sort of set the, the price point. The other thing that I liked about Bandcamp over Patreon is that um, you can you can offer yearly subscriptions. And I think, I don't know, that just feels better to me than the monthly subscription thing because I feel like people might be more inclined to just cancel. Like, what is this? Even if it's $3 a month, I think they're more inclined to, what, what am I paying $3 a month for? And they get rid of it. And there's also this pressure to constantly be putting something out every single month. And sometimes, you know, I'm on tour. I can't do that. I actually did have a subscriber complain. Why did I just sign up? And there's nothing you're posting for the VIPs. And oh, I said, right. well, I'm on tour. I've been on tour all year. So, of course, I've, I put, I found some, I dug up some old demo thing and, and threw it up there for them and <laughs> appeased them. But, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I don't know. It just, so I have the, the, three tiers basically and I've upped it some people are grandfathered into the original rate which was just 15 bucks a year now I've upped that to 30 bucks a year um and then for higher prices I give them a little bit of you know these prog fans they love cds they love physical merch they're collectors so for a certain amount I'll burn a cd for them of you know whatever demos live recording 
I just come up with something at the end of every year. And then for certain people who give me like over a hundred dollars a year, I'll actually bake them cookies with my dad and we send out the cookies every year. And that's a big undertaking. Like every Christmas time in the like beginning of January, we're like baking off all these cookies, going to the post office, getting these, you know, boxes and, it's a whole, we, the whole family did it last year. It was really fun. It was like, wow. it felt like, like Santa's workshop, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, I've retained a really high amount of subscribers and honestly, it's, it's a huge part of my annual income, especially in 2020. It's, it's the only thing really that I'm making anything from because I can't play out live. So I'm doing these live streams once in a while. That's nice but it doesn't even come close to the kind of funding I can get through Bandcamp. It's really just been really, really amazing. So the live streams, have you been doing like through a paywall or just Ven- Venmo, Cash App, Pen Pal, uh, PayPal type stuff or just, just... So I did it through, through Stage It. And okay. then this, this last one that I just did is... Uh, I don't even know how he has it set up. It's like, it's not a live stream. Uh, my friend Anthony Tid in Philly put up the, put together this festival called Act for Music. And some of the proceeds go to charity. And, and it's just a really great uh, festival and just the whole campaign. So I would definitely check that out if you're listening, if it's still going on um, yeah. in a couple weeks. Um, but the other cool thing about it is that it's pre-recorded. So it launched yesterday and so it'll be available for the next coming week. So you buy the ticket once you can stream at any time. It's not just like a one-time thing. And it's also, I think because it's pre-recorded, it's a, a little higher quality because it's not just, you know, dependent upon the speed of your internet at that current moment, which might be bad. <laughs> yeah. That's, there's a lot of factors that are hard to quantify from the, from the end of the person streaming what they're doing, you know, cause yeah. I mean, there's ways to check what you're putting out, um, which is cool. Like I have one of those iRig streams and I've been making some stuff using it because it's a really simple way to get good quality audio mm-hmm. and use the video on your phone. So if you want to post something that you're working on and sort of eliminate the shitty phone mic sound versus like yeah. something, you know, it's like I can, it's kind of a great device, but it's also mostly, I think it was designed for people that want to do Instagram live or like, and mm-hmm. I think it works with everything. Like it kind of, it's not really platform specific, but right. it's a good, it's a pretty good device. And anyway, what's cool is like you can record yourself and check it out and see, you know, if you want to see what your mix sounds like on something before right. you actually have to like, do it for people. It's a good way to like, te- like at least troubleshoot 98% of the issues you might have with audio before you ever do it for people. But I kind of like the idea of the, like, I just pre-recorded a set for something and um, I, I'm glad, you know, like it, it was all live of course, but still right. just, just the ability to like really hone in on the quality of what's happening. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. And I felt, I, you know, I don't have an iRig, but I've got, of course, my mobile recording interface. So it's a, yeah. so the iRig does fascinate me because, of course, it eliminates that step of like having to import the video and opening up a, a video editor, putting in the audio. It, you know, there's a little bit more work there, but yeah. yeah, it was just 
because then I can use also the, the video on the phone. When I did the one live stream for uh, on stage it on uh, for the Uncancelled Festival, I had to use my laptop camera, which, you know, of course, technology advances so quickly. So my 2015 MacBook Pro camera is not going to be nearly as good as my, you know, iPhone 10 camera. So sure. Yeah. You know, um, yes. I feel like I was going to say something. I forget. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, so what was the festival that Tid was organizing? That guy's a great musician. Um, oh, my yeah, friend- he's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard his record? Um, well, I mean, have you, have you heard him play with Steve Coleman? Like, have you heard any of that stuff? Um, I'm not sure actually I, mean, I have heard him play with Steve but I've seen him around Philly you know playing jazz clubs here and there with oh you know always a rotating lineup and he's friends with my uh good friend Tim Motzer who was the one right. that curated this specific night That's cool. so I've seen them play together but yeah Tid is just a monster on bass so when yeah. he asked me to, to do this I was, of course I was already like buying tickets to see things on Act for Music anyway so I'm like cool I'll be part of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah he did this record a couple I guess Shit, it's probably longer than a couple years ago. It's probably like, probably 15 years ago. He did a record in the project. It was his project. It was called Quite Sane. And um, my friend Sean Rickman played drums on it. And it's, that that record's pretty phenomenal. I mean, I think he arranged and wrote all the stuff. And I don't know all the musicians on there, but um, that that record was the thing that really, um, I mean, you know, I liked his playing with Steve Coleman and like I've, Sean did some stuff with Michelle de Giocello and Tid was on bass for that. Um, it was like a European thing in the early 2000s. And so like, he's, he's a great player, but like the, his, the music that he hears and puts out, like that quite, that quite sane record is pretty, pretty special. I need to check that out. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's definitely, um, I haven't listened to it in a long time, but um, it's, I know, I know it's on the streaming services and stuff where you mm. can find it. It's definitely definitely like worth worth checking out sweet um but wait there was one other thing i was going to ask about about band camp um oh so this friday this i was just checking the date are they doing that thing again because it wasn't it like yep. the first friday okay yeah cool. so they're they're gonna do it in july as well i think they already it's basically like the first friday of, of the next three months that's pretty cool yeah, yeah and it's funny be- because like I honestly like we did it that the first time I think it was it was that in March or yeah. April I, and and I didn't really have anything planned for it I just thought oh that's cool and I just you know posted my link and just hope people would buy things and I definitely noticed a huge spike when I actually like the day before I just thought huh you know, it has been 10 years since I put out my first record. And because I haven't been able to go back to Philly and get more CDs to ship out from here in Seattle, I've been running low. And I actually sent out my last copy of my first record that I had here. So I was thinking, hmm, maybe I can just like make some of my own. And it turned out to be way more successful because I actually had something new to put out. So I've actually yeah. now been strategizing, okay, let's put out something else this time around that's new for people, relatively new for people. And so I'm going to put out uh, this, like a double best of Paper Cat uh, record, which Paper Cat was a band that short-lived band from 2009 to 2011, which was uh, consisted of 
myself, my brother on drums, and our friend Robbie Seahag Mangano on guitar. Oh, cool. And we did, we, we just did a live recording. We just improvised everything. Um, that was our first show in July of 2009. So we had somebody came in and recorded that. Our friend Pete um, recorded, I think he recorded it to a DAT machine, I, I swear. <laughs> oh, the difference of t 11 years. Um, but it's actually, you know, pretty good quality. And, you know, for just being pretty much just, you know, a taper kind of recording. I think it's pretty cool. And so we took that and then I invited Robbie down to my studio, my apartment at the time in Philly. And we improvised over a whole weekend and just did like the thing where we just improvised. And then we all went to the control room, AKA my bedroom and listened through everything and just kind of made markers on ideas that we we liked and then we wrote songs around these ideas so we've had so then we did some shows after that where we played these composed pieces which of course we had you know built-in improvised sections so the double record concept is going to be okay we'll have the live at john and peter's recording and then we'll have I'm calling it buttered noodles, which is these <laughs> <laughs> these noodles that we did that we that we turned into songs that we actually did eventually play live. And there's a couple live recordings that are going to make it on that CD too. Uh, just you can hear how the songs developed when we actually went out and played them live as well. So where we and we threw in a little uh, Zappa quote. We did a little King Kong because Eric knows <laughs> we, we know Robbie through his work with Project Object first, the Zappa tribute band. So we, sure. we of course had to do a little Zappa reference in there. Yeah. I, I saw, um, I think the first time I saw Eric play was with, was it with Project Object? Um, I when forgot. He was a little huh? When he was a little babe, he was only yeah. like <laughs> Totally. It would have been like 2006 or something because yeah. we i was playing with fuzinski we opened for them at some club in manhattan called coda and okay. i don't know what i haven't thought about that club um before or you know since we played there i just remember like the set was cool and like <laughs> ike willis was playing with them that night so he i talked to him for a minute we we opened a couple shows uh for for project object but like i don't i think that was the only one that eric was playing drums on and um it was it was cool but damn that was like a long that was a long fucking time ago i know um but yeah no i i did the same thing for the first band camp like i had a bunch of live versions of stuff off my first record that was probably workable enough to put out but i you know mm -hmm. i had to i had to talk to the people that played on it and just explain hey exactly. look you you know, like, is it, do you guys care if I put this out? It's everyone's playing well. That's all anyone really cared about. It wasn't, you know, because I, I felt like I wasn't going to make a killing on music I've right. already sold. But, you know, like, there is definitely, you know, we all lost considerable income, or exactly. if not considerable income, up to now, considerable income opportunities. So, exactly. I think, so, I, I don't know. I'm very, I'm very impressed by how Bandcamp has sort of been supporting all of us and just their, their stance on the whole thing and, and the kind of like the, the charitable causes they want to get behind. Exactly. I mean, you know, you compare them to anybody else like Spotify or Apple music and it's just not even 
not even close, you know, they're just, if you really want to support music, that's the platform. Yeah. Period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> support absolutely. the artist directly. And that's the thing. We, it's kind of forced us into this position. Okay. Where we just have to, you know, get our fan base as, as much as we can. And of course it's hard to really find new fans and make new fans without playing out live. You know, we're sort of forced to make these, videos for instagram <laughs> and right. try to hope that you know that was one thing i was going to say actually with before you know talking about the the whole live stream concert thing you know i tried also just to put up little dips and bobs here you know with the with the link you know to venmo tip or paypal tip and i'll tell you that it has succeeded in um not getting me a single dollar <laughs> so i know now <laughs> not to just put things out for free because people won't pay for them if they're already free. So I've learned a valuable lesson there. Right. <laughs> Although, of course, my records are on Spotify. I begrudgingly put those up there because I feel that, you know, the exposure is important or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have stuff on there. Um, yeah. I, I I don't know though. Like, have you have you released any? Like, when Echo Test, the last Echo Test record came out, did you put that up there immediately, or did you no, wait? Okay, I waited. Yep. No, of course, because of course you're gonna hopefully get some direct income from that. You know, where you actually make, you know, eighty-five to ninety percent, or a hundred percent if you're selling the things at the shows, versus yeah. you know, points zero 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 whatever per play. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you this though. Um, when like, so since you launched the, um, the subscription thing, do you have ways to measure metrics? Like, okay. Like remember how, like, so let's say like on jam cruise or something or not jam mm -hmm. cruise, boop, fail, um, cruise to the edge. Let's say yeah, like <laughs> cruise to the edge, which in that for all intents and purposes, that might be the very last cruise I ever go on. Um, and it might though, be the very last cruise that they ever do too. I can't see them actually succeeding after this debacle of a year. I know, I know. So. And I was into it. That was a good time. I mean, I, you know, I can't speak to what happened after the cruise, but like the, yeah. the cruise itself was like, that was a great, um, that was a fun time. And, and it sort of, that kind of model sold me on like, oh, I see how this would be cool if you're into a certain type of thing and there's a right. infrastructure for these bands. But so what I'm saying is like, if, so how many were you, have you ever been able to measure, let's say like, has there ever been like a spike in subscriptions because of something like that? Or do you know how to, do you know where the traffic comes from when you, well, I, f I find that when I'm on tour, I definitely sell more, th more physical merch on Bandcamp or downloads. I definitely get more subscriptions. So because I have it set up to renew annually, you know, I can, and that's the thing, the analytics of Bandcamp is really cool too. So you, you know, you can, I, like you said, spikes, so they, they will actually have, give you graphs and show you the plays, where the traffic's coming from, you know, through Google searches or whether they're from embeds on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, and then I can also see like the whole list of subscribers. So I can see, you know, who's unsubscribing. I know who you are no. <laughs> <laughs> and when you did it. Uh, I've actually sometimes had the boss actually contact people about that. <laughs> Like, oh, really? Because I want to know, know why, you know, what, you know, because I want, I want a satisfied customer. So I, you know, I've asked people before, you know, hey, especially the ones that like I send a CD to 
because I do it at the end. It's just easy because I have people subscribing throughout the year now at this point. So what I was going to say is because in the beginning, of course, it was all a lot, a bulk of like probably half of the money. You know, it comes in directly. That's the other great thing. They, nobody holds it like Kickstarter. Well, they hold it until you're, you've reached your goal and then it takes weeks or whatever for the money to clear through your bank account. No, this stuff like consistently, it's like every couple of days I'll get a notification. It takes two days for the money to clear through. So if somebody subscribes, you know, last week, I, I'll get the money by now. So it's pretty amazing. So half of that money that I make every year comes around the time that I launched it because I still have a good amount of people that I've retained subscribing every year. So around November, you know, I get a nice chunk of change. And so I make all these CDs, I make all these cookies, I send things out and rarely but you know sometimes i'll see somebody like unsubscribe after that and i wonder well i just sent you a cd what's up <laughs> you know are you unsatisfied <laughs> with it <laughs> what do they say well a lot of time well actually i have gotten people back some people back from the guilting <laughs> 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 but you know some you know one i think one guy replied you know i just and this was you know, keep in mind this i haven't done this recently and this was before there was any sort of pandemic or like economic like total fuck up shutdown so right. you know there was there was a guy you know i think it was in uh, denmark or something and he was saying what well, he was going through hard times financially so you know he couldn't afford it so i understand I, I have no control over that like i look forward to your you know support any way you can give it doesn't you know i'm not gonna shame you for unsubscribing really i'm <laughs> but but like I said you know I, I don't know I feel almost like a business you know I am a business I guess uh, but yeah. you know sometimes you know you get the why you've unsubscribed message when you are getting tired of 87 emails from X corporation or whatever yeah well it's I guess it's good to know though I mean it's, it's yeah. you have to I mean if, if there's a I mean I definitely know well just from yeah exactly like from the from the emails and where you're like, why did I subscribe to this? I just wanted that 10% off discount code. And now I'm getting emails yeah. every hour. And then, you know, yeah. you hit, like if, if they're really polite, it's really just a quick unsubscribe. And then they, they don't even do that thing where they passively aggressively email you to, yeah. to tell you that you've unsubscribed. But, um, right. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> like, um, some of them have like that little survey, like what, you know, why, you know, it's attached to like a Google document or it's like yeah. a, you know, and I wonder how useful that kind of stuff is. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know why too many emails. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know. I mean, so, I mean, I haven't, to be fair, I haven't like messaged people. I think this was more in the beginning when I was really still figuring out the subscription service thing and I'm still in my late twenties and angry. <laughs> now I'm just like, whatever, who cares? The other yeah. guy, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, you got it. You got to take the hard line. I mean, I, you know, yeah. not to, we don't have to like go so far into this, but like, I know like you've had to like step up and, you know, duke it out with people that are saying uncool things on your stuff. I mean, you still got to advocate for your brand, whether it's just yeah. seeing, seeing what people want to see, what kind of stuff they may want to, hear from you or like the, the way you're providing the content or like, you know, you gotta like do, do the house cleaning and make, making yeah. sure jerks are not writing trolling type stuff on your, 
on your wall, you know? Exactly. And, and you know, I understand some people are like, oh, I can get all the music for uh, you know, 15 bucks at the time, you know, or 30 bucks now. That's why I've raised it because I realized, like, some people were just, like, signing up, getting all the downloads and then unsubscribing, you know, just basically so they could get all the records for 15 bucks. And it's like, that's not really the point of this. I know you could still, <laughs> like, stream most of it on Spotify anyway or find it on YouTube or wherever. But so I appreciate your 15 bucks. Fine. But, you know, really the whole model, it's set up to to be a sustaining thing for me. So I don't always have to do a crowdfunding campaign every time I want to put something out because, you know, those are exhausting. <laughs> yeah, I've never done one of those, but ah. but they I, they definitely make sense. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm still gonna make. I'm still gonna do them in the future. I, I debated about it for a while. Like, okay, do I do I still put up a Kickstarter even though I've got this Bandcamp thing? And honestly, I still have. I noticed that there are still people that follow me on Kickstarter because I've done them before, and they're just never gonna be the the types of people that want to commit to an annual subscription. So they'll throw me, you know, even a hundred bucks to, to create a new record, but they don't necessarily want to give me that hundred bucks every single year, even though I am basically putting out a record every other, every other year at this point, like a studio record. Yeah. So I still feel it's, it's necessary to, to do both, but it's nice to have this, this sort of passive form of income that comes in pretty regularly. Very helpful. Like I said, really keeping me sustained this year. Definitely. That's cool. Are you doing any teaching at all or do you just kind of, I mean, I've done a few lessons here and there, but I don't have any students per se, really. That right. have, you know, it's really just like this said one-offs, you know, and it's it's hard to schedule sometimes. Like I had a one one-off with a guy in Japan, and it was like almost impossible to find a time, as you know, on being on the West Coast, like the time difference is pretty ridiculous. So we, it was like his nine in the morning, my five at night. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's always a challenge. What kind of stuff do they typically want to know, like when they, when they study with you? Pick pick techniques. Okay. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. That makes sense. Although um, I've had a, a one person that was like, "I want to learn like how to get better at sight reading and you know playing with my fingers," and I was just thinking to myself, uh, "You are barking up the wrong tree." But <laughs> 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 I'll try. <laughs> Right. Do you read it all or is that, do you kind of just memorize and, and internalize it? I'm, yeah, I definitely work better that way. I didn't, you know, being a product of the school of rock, you know, we didn't really oh, right, right. learn how to, I mean, maybe that there some curriculums at different schools has changed, you know, since it started 25 years ago, but yeah, I've always just learned by ear. So you know, I can read music. I, you know, I went to school and we did have to, you know, take piano courses and ear training and all that, but I don't necessarily feel comfortable reading. Yeah. I, so. I, I think it's, you know, I mean, when you were talking about relearning all that music for that festival, I, I definitely think really, you know, and I definitely am a, I'm, I'm pro reading, but I definitely think there's a, there's a good time and place for that. And I think if you're going to play music that's really intense and complicated and there's time to do this, it's like you're, it's going to sound way better if people know what they're doing and they're not reading. Oh it. yeah. Oh it's, yeah. 
it's one thing if you had just have a roadmap so you just know like okay just for like a definitive here's how many times like so if there's the occasional lapse and memory from not really playing something too much like i can i totally see that but just if you're charting something out where it's like now you really need to know this right then, right then I, it's not i don't think reading can really save reading can't save somebody the hours of preparation and just trying to master something and get it so it's going to sound natural and not um just clinical not, and sterile <laughs> yeah yeah, because that's, that's why a lot of that stuff, that's why all those people that play that stuff, like friends of ours and all the people we look up to, that's what, all the people we look up to, that's why all that stuff sounds the way it does. Like, it, you know, it's like they, they've, it's repetition and whatever, but like, you know, reading and reading won't absolve people of, of that kind of work, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's the other part of it. You know, we didn't really study it too much in School of Rock and then Adrian doesn't read. So... He, you know, which is insane to think about with like, you know, some of the pieces he's come up with over the years, but right. he's not a reader. So he didn't ever really enforce that either. So it was always, you know, showing me the parts, me getting a headache, taking a break, coming <laughs> back. <laughs> <laughs> What's the weirdest part that what, like, is, is there a tune of in that catalog? You guys do so much stuff. Like, is there a tune? Is there a well, tune? I, honestly, the crimson stuff isn't that difficult. It's really like his stuff. I mean, when we did the E record, um, in 2009, which was a power trio album that he, we pretty much did live in the studio and he mm -hmm. kind of wrote inspired by working with, with me and Eric. So, um, yeah, there was the, the song E was one that we played live a little bit before coming into the studio. Mm -hmm. So that one I was a little bit more familiar with, but, like the end of that song is really fucked up. So that's probably <laughs> one of the hardest. And I, that's one that like, I'll just, you know, pick up the bass and, and just practice that riff or B3 um, was another one. Cause you know, all the songs on that record, for those that don't know, it's, it's, it's called E, E it's 43 minute instrumental album. And it's broken up into movements, A, B, E, C, D, and E. And then there's like little like subsections. So I, I don't know if it's 10 tracks, nine tracks. It's like, so there's a little interlude that's called a one and there's a two, a three, B one, oh, B two, cool. B three. So it's like the third, third section of, of this larger part. And, and it's a 92nd piece of music. And there's, there's YouTube's of me playing it up there. And that's another one that I'll just like pick up the bass and just practice it. And yeah. he would just show us bit by bit every day. We, we, we spent a week in the studio recording that album. So we would just spend, you know, the first day doing a second day we did B third day C and so on. And so the last, the sixth day we spent just, um, overdubbing things that we felt needed to be overdubbed. And then that was pretty much it. It was like six days. Damn. And then we, and now we went to Sweetwater and played <laughs> seven in the morning for everybody. <laughs> Woohoo. Awesome. Well, there's, there's, there's that video of you playing that song E where it's like, uh, someone's painting mm -hmm. and, and, um, yeah, that, that song's crazy. Like, yeah, that's, I was, I was watching that not too long ago. Um, cause I had, I had heard that record, but I was like, I want to, and, and it's funny. You don't look like it's hard. Like you don't, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you're, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the most daunting piece. 
but well, yeah, I mean that at that point, I what I did that video in twenty sixteen. Uh-huh. Yeah, twenty. So, I mean, at that point, I've been playing that song live for eight years. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. So at that point, you're just like whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Of yeah. course, when I first learned it, it was like I struggled with even getting the dum 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 beginning part. So it came a long way. That's pretty cool. Um, what what kind of stuff have you been checking out in in the past couple months? Like, have you been reading anything or watching anything cool, or did you, have you found any music stuff? Um, well, like, well, like I said before, you know, I've just been um, downloading these cheesy MIDI files. I've like done some Radiohead covers of some of my favorite Radiohead songs, and uh, that's really fun to just analyze. Like I said, I'll find a MIDI of it. You know, I'm not beyond that. But I will download a cheesy MIDI file and then see how somebody else has sort of notated it out. And then I'll just see, oh, okay, that's how the, the vocal part works against the bass line, works against the drum pattern. And as a songwriter, sound designer, I think it's really cool to see how other people create these, like, masterpieces to me mm-hmm. and then you know even just some and also like some kate bush or annie lennox you know really getting out of my wheelhouse and comfort zone with the the whole prog thing and just seeing how like a good pop song is written a peter gabriel song so i've spent some days just doing that like i was saying i was doing that today and and also I'll take that and then make my own version of it so i come up with my own drum programs and my own you know, counter harmonies and I'll use my crazy even tide effects and make some cool sounds over it. And I don't know, just for fun to keep myself busy. And I read the Abby Jacobson book. That was really good. I recommend oh, that. Cool. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, TV, I try not to watch it during the day. Just like it's my treat for at night. Like as if I have a nine to five job, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've been watching like great british menu but it's really hard to find older seasons of that show you can find the new season on youtube and i highly recommend that and uh what else like uh rupaul's drag race of course which just had the finale last week but at least there's a new season coming so that's good <laughs> of all stars <laughs> um Killing Eve is a really great show. That show just ended also. So we're going to have and Top Chef. I love cooking shows, in case you didn't know. And I love cooking. So I do spend a lot of my day just, like, doing these food experiments and cooking different delicious vegetarian things. So I've mastered pizza because I was so sick of the terrible pizza here in Seattle. So I've come up with – I've used my friend Joe Badia, who was, like, voted best pizza in America – a couple years ago by Bon Appetit magazine. So he came out with a cookbook. Um, and I highly recommend his pizza dough recipe is awesome. Where's he based out? <laughs> Where, He's out he? of Philly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause that's, you know, that's controversial. That's a controversial. Uh, I thing. know. I know. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean like I have, you know, I spent 13 years in New York and exactly. I, I, you know, for me, I tried all the really great places and I was always excited just to, I never really wanted to crown one thing, the winner, but people really, I find people often want to do that. Like they want to say, 
They want lists. They want superlatives. Yeah. But I will say the pizza I had in New Haven at Frank Pepe's probably is my favorite. Okay. But, but um, there's, you know, it's like there's, I don't know. It's like a big, it's a big, uh, big tent that the pizza thing fits under. So there's room for all kinds of stuff. But what, um, what was lacking in the Seattle pizza? Like what, what, what did you identify? Cause you're an East coaster. So, you know, like, right. you or know, what, pizza. what the, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing now, you know, in LA you have some decent pizza cause there are some places that have like the New York style slices and things like that. But here, I don't know. It just, I don't think people really like there aren't enough East coast implants, I guess. So what they were calling like, what they well a lot of people think of as serviceable pizza is just garbage like cardboard or fluffy <laughs> crusts or sweet sauce or the wrong kind of cheese right and the only place that i found was acceptable was like a really frou-frou like kind of neapolitan style place which is good but you know it, you know Ita- pizza in italy you know echo test my band is two-thirds italian so i'm gonna be extra critical of they're going to be extra critical of things when they come here. And, you know, they understand that a New York pizza is completely different from a pizza that they can get in Rome or a Napoli style pizza. So they appreciated this place, Cornudo that our friend Darius took us to. So they, they do, they did recognize that was good, but it was also like over from 20 to $30 for a pizza that they could get for five euros in Italy. So, you know, things tend to be very overpriced up here all this amazon and microsoft money so that's wow. the other part of it too it's just to the, the the lack of like but i found that the quality didn't match the the price point yeah. and you know coming back back and forth back and forth to the east coast all the time i i would just fill up on all my favorite east coast foods pizza falafel because that's another thing that i, I have a hard time finding good falafel here i found one place like in sort of like the I would the, the Lake City area, which has a lot of great uh, diverse restaurants, Ethiopian restaurants, Turkish markets, and so I I like to go to the Turkish market that also has falafel, and they, I found that to be good. But they, of course, they like the the Asian like Japanese food, ramen, um, Southeast Asian food here is really good, and so it's hard to compete with that on the East coast, you know, so every, everywhere has got its specialties, I suppose. I made cheesesteaks last night though. Oh, scary. that's cool. I think so, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. How did you, so how did you, how did you do that? Like what was the, uh, cause you're, are you, you're just a vegetarian, right? You're not vegan or no, no, no. I'm actually a pescatarian. So okay. Okay. I, I do eat fish, so I can enjoy the delicious salmon and, and sushi here. Um, but right on. I, I made it with mushrooms. So, okay. and I made, I made the rolls from the Badia recipe for pizza bread, pizza bread, pizza dough. Um, pizza bread? So, yeah, pizza <laughs> bread. You know, that's, well, that's why I feel like that's how pizza is here in Seattle. It's like pizza bread. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like a pizza <laughs> bagel. Um, so yeah, I, I made the, the pizza dough and, but I shaped it into two little like hoagie rolls because they're called hoagies, damn it. Right. Yeah, and, no, that's, 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 <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a regional thing. Definitely. Yeah. And, and so I just like sauteed the mushrooms and some shallot and I made it, I even made my own cheese whiz sauce, but from like really fancy, like truffle cheese I got at Trader Joe's. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's cool. I mean, I, it was good. 
Yeah. I don't know. Like I, you know, I've been at Nelly for three years and I haven't really felt, I, I just feel like it's not fair uh, or nor do I feel like it's a good use of energy and time to try to find the things that made like New York special in terms of like their culinary gifts to the world. Like, uh, right. I'm not feeling too bad that like the bagels out here are not what they are on the East coast. No, um, no. And the pizza <laughs> thing, I, I'm kind of, I'm on the fence with it because, um, my, my general feeling is if I'm going to go back to the East coast and visit, then I'll have it then. Cause there's just exactly. so much, there's just so much good stuff here that, that is like part of what this region is good for, which is like taco trucks and Mexican food and totally, you know, there's so many other things and it's just, I'm cool. I mean, there's, there's plenty of great stuff that isn't that. And I love those things, but it's like, I don't know. Like I, I think it's a heartbreaking experience to try to find bagels out here. And I think there's a couple right. places that come close, but it really isn't the same. And I think if, no, no, it's if, the water. Yeah, it's the, the, the water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I was thinking about that accent because <laughs> I, you know, like I'm from I'm from Maryland originally, but I'm from the part near D.C. But I've been rewatching The Wire and there's yep. people in Baltimore that literally have that accent. It's like the yep, South, it's, South it's Jersey. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. What, do you know yeah. What, what the deal is with that? Like what, where it came wow. from? Like, Honestly, if you... You know, if you think about it, it does kind of sound like a, like a, almost like a British Cockney accent in a way. Like there's mm. some similarities there. So I think of it as, I think it's somewhat derived from that. Okay. And that's just my theory. I have no idea if it's true or not. But it's a very special accent. It's really hard to do. I find, I get, like, it's one of my biggest pet peeves ever, like when they have characters from Philly on a show or, or even like a show like how to get away with murder, which is based in Philly. And you have like a character like Frank on that show. And he's supposed to be like this Philly Italian and he's got a goddamn New York accent. It drives me nuts. It's completely <laughs> different. It's completely different. It's a, you got that. And then you got to use the word John, I guess. Right. Yeah. Like that's a <laughs> Yes. Well then that, I know where that comes from. That's based off of joint. Like, Mm-hmm. In like the the early hip hop culture, when you'd say like, and I'm gonna sound so incredibly white right now, but like that's the joint, you know, it's like right. talking about a, something that's cool or like a a good song. And yeah, being, you know, Philadelphians, we're just so you know anti everything New York. We're our own people, like fuck New York. So we're gonna have our own version of the word, and it's gonna be <laughs> a lazier. We're gonna make our jaw super lazy and not pronounce that T because we don't like to pronounce the letter T hence Wooder it's W-O-O-D-E-R <laughs> well yeah because that word John just kind of rolls off so it's like I, exactly. listened to, I listened to that John the other day you know like I yeah we don't yeah. have time we don't have time to be wasting it on a t at the end right <laughs> yeah I know yeah Philly definitely has its own its own take on stuff like I remember I don't know who had an actual problem with this but I know that like it did sort of get on people's radar, but like when Jill Scott had that song, it's love. And it had like a go-go beat, which is kind of a, you know, it's a DC thing like that, that music uh -huh. came from DC. So, um, I don't know if this was done in, in, 
like praise of or in love of it, but like Chuck Brown ended up doing a version of that song and it was like a couple BPM slower because like the go-go thing was a, is a little bit slower than how Jill did it. But her song is still great, but it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, you're talking about two regions that are very close to each other and a style of music that really never got out of DC other than the when, you know, that feel got adopted a couple times in pop music. And then when Miles used this drummer named Ricky Wellman, who was a go-go drummer. So it was like, but yeah, when it came from Jill Scott, it's like, wow, I wonder who, whose idea that was. Cause go-go music never really made it. I mean, it, cause it wasn't even really part of Baltimore. That's why it's remarkable because you know, it's like that. It's just, that's clearly like from one city and then it made its way. And I guess it's not like Philly's in Tokyo or something. So it's not like, Oh, it went across right. the seas and, but right. you know, it, it's it's a very it, when I when I think about like phrases that have been adapted or words, I mean, there's definitely like musical things that uh, that are signature uh, of of certain areas. And so for DC, that's like one thing. And you know, obviously Philly has its rich musical history and stuff too. But it was just interesting when that was a component of it. it must have been somebody that worked on the session that was from DC or something. As be my theory, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it could it, it could have been because. It, it definitely like caught my ear when I heard it the first I was like, Oh, that's definitely interesting. But I don't know. It's, it's one of those weird, weird things that it's like little, little tiny cues from like, Oh, I know where that person's from. Like just, you can tell right. the way they speak or musically the way they speak. Oh yeah. I mean, that's why I can always immediately detect a Philly accent too. Like if I meet somebody, or, you know, see some a character on a show. And even if it's like they're trying to cover it up, sometimes I notice that. And I'm just like, I think they're from Philly. And then I look them up and I'm like, aha! <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, what do you, um, you think is going to happen, like, in the months and weeks to come? With like, Or, you know, like, maybe not the months to come, but, like, music-wise, like, what do you think, what do you think we're in for? Like, do you think this thing is going to come back as we knew it or are we all, should we all get ready for like the next phase? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like my brother's in Nashville, the music city and you know, they're totally open now. They're totally open back up. And I wonder, are they going to start playing out down there? Like, because the whole city's open, are these clubs chopping up a bit to get their rooms full of people? Like, is that going to be a thing? And if so, you know, I'm skeptical. Like, does that mean that people are going to be safe? And, you know, are they going to want to sell the rooms half full and keep people six feet apart? I doubt that will happen. Yeah. So are people going to start getting sick? Or And if that's the case, then everything gets shut back down again and we're going to, you know, be put into timeout <laughs> for longer. <laughs> like, I don't want these, these states that are opening back up to, like, make it worse for all of us. You know, I want... I want, uh, like everybody else, we want, all, want it to be over as soon as possible so we can get back to a somewhat normal life again. But of course, I do think people are going to be anxious to go out and see live music. Of course, we need that more than ever. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about the possibility of that happening at some point because, again, you know, people will be so thirsty for it, the musicians and the, the crowd alike. So... I just don't know. I know it's going to be extremely competitive to get out there because now the clubs that already had eight holds on a date are going to have 16 holds or 20 holds, you know, because there's just 
you know, this is how we make money. You know, we basically, I mean, we talk praises of Bandcamp, but really how we really make our bread and butter is by performing live going on tour. So it'll be, you know, it, will the, the most like top 10% just get to keep doing it and then cut out like the bottom feeders. Like that's kind of a depressing thought too. So you're not the first person who's talked about that, you know, like just the, is it going to be like sort of a Darwinism battle royale out of the gates? And and it it could be, it could be, it's a very sobering thought. Um, but but yeah, I I wonder about that. I mean, I I think that's one thing that that I, you know, it's all speculative until we're actually in that moment. But um, mm-hmm. that's that's definitely something I'm I'm wondering myself because I definitely don't know how sustainable some of this stuff is. Um, you know, like I don't know. It's gonna be it's just gonna be interesting to see what 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 happens. Uh, and yeah. it's 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 weird to think about it like on today specifically, but like just you know overarching like down the line. Like I wonder what what it's going to mean for for whatever. Just because like I think about flying now, and I don't know that I don't like. Would you fly right now? No, well, here's the, I, thanks for coming on and chatting for a while. Of course, and thank you for having me. I was going to go to Bonnaroo because uh-huh. Adrian was playing it, and I wanted to see my brother and his wife, and we had this whole plan to go on vacation and then and obviously this all happened and i've tried to call the airline i've managed to cancel all the other flights i had that were for for gigs and things like that because they were just for me but because i had like i used a companion fare to book this flight so you know with my with my mx card i can like use get one free flight for somebody to travel with me so because i used that um, I think it's more it it's more complicated, so I can't just like cancel the flight online. And the airlines have been pretty good about that. Like, I just have a whole bunch of vouchers now that I will use when I feel safe to fly again. And what was a little worrisome is that they're you're allowed to use them now until 2022. So I kind of feel like, hmm, do they know something that we don't like? We're we're in this for the <laughs> long haul, and like, yeah. we're not going to be flying. Mm-hmm safely for the next two years you know but because at first it was just for a year now it's for two years so that's a little a bit of a scary thought but but yeah because i use this i can't just cancel the flight online so i have to call in and i tried calling a few weeks ago just to just get it done and i was you know given an automated message in the very beginning when I even before I even like was put through to any other part of it, it was just saying we're of course experiencing high volumes of callers right now. And we really recommend that you don't try to make any cancellations or travel changes within like, unless you're flying within the next seven days. So my flight is for June 10th. So I've been waiting because I stayed on the line even at that point, just thinking, well, I'm calling like their silver medallion line. Maybe I'll be able to be put it through to somebody somewhat soon. And of course they have like the callback feature. So I said, we're, you know, experiencing high numbers of callers right now. If you'd <laughs> like to receive a callback, you can expect to receive one in five hours. Holy shit. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Okay. 
maybe I should wait. So I'm going to be doing that um, pretty much when we get off of this call. <laughs> I'm going right to try to call again and cancel that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, because even even though Tennessee's open, I still don't feel safe like getting on a plane and possibly like giving the virus to my brother. You know, that just yeah, I wouldn't be okay with that. Yeah, no, it's definitely things got to kind of be on pause until the the kinks get worked out and the you know people can kind of measure what the actual risks are because it just okay. seems like a lot of things are done, a lot of things are talked about in the abstract and and probably. Mostly because there's not really a buffer period between what people know about this and, you know, just how to roll out information effectively. I think that's the one thing that maybe, I mean, it's sure it's scary, but I think if you, if someone looks at why it's scary, I think that's what it is. It's like people are learning about it on a daily basis. It isn't like, okay, well, this is what a cold is and you just right. do this. You know, it's, it's very much like, Oh, you know, like this just made, make, made your DNA do this a certain way. And we just learned this yesterday. And, you know, like right. there's, all, there's all kinds of stuff now where people are talking about, you know, there's like the respiratory component, but there's also the vascular component. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. So I don't think it's, I don't know if they know anything, but I think they're covering their ass because, Mm -hmm. they, they know it's just going to be a lot more, it's going to be a higher volume of calls and it's going to be a 17 hour wait and they'll, they'll call you back at 4am and there'll be someone yeah. from someone from a call center, you know, in like exactly. uh, Nebraska or something. Yeah. And they'll say, I don't know how to deal with it. And then I'll, it'll just be a waste of time for everybody. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, that's why I'm like, hey, I need to call at least give myself a few days of buffer. Yeah. But yeah, it's all like we like you said before. It's all speculation. So really, now more time than ever to just kind of live in the moment, as hard as it is, and just take one day at a time and just exactly. keep going and breathing and breathing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I, I know what you meant. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. For more about Julie Slick, you can find her on the internet. That's julieslick.com. And I think there are links to all her social media accounts there. You should also check her out on Bandcamp. She has a great subscription thing that's happening. In any case, new episode next Wednesday. Thanks for listening, folks, and be well. 